Hey guys, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am on a mission. Next year, 2020, starting really right now and at the end of 2019, my goal is to serve you at a much, much higher level. My goal is to make sure that I am completely in tune with what you, my listeners, really want out of this podcast, but not just this podcast, what you want out of your own business, how you want to grow it, how you want to scale it, how you want to be more profitable, like all of those things that I know you want. I want to hear about them in detail. I want to help you on that journey and I want to tailor this program specifically to help you with what you're struggling with and what you would want to hear. Now, I'm still going to always bring in really inspiring, really awesome entrepreneurs, real estate investors who are doing cool things in their business and having them break that down and share every little bit of it with you. But in addition to that, if there's special features that you would like to hear on this show, certain things, certain topics that you want to make sure we're getting covered and help with certain areas, reach out to me and let me know. Shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com. Make the subject line help and I will read every single one of those, and I will do my best to get everything that you send me, all of the topics, especially the ones that I'm hearing over and over again from you guys, into the show so that I am absolutely making this, hands down, the best real estate investing podcast on earth. That's my goal, and that may sound like a selfish goal, but in order for me to be the best real estate investing podcast on earth, I need to be doing the best job of anybody else on earth. So in order for me to do the best job, I want to serve you guys and make sure this is the program that you want. So shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject line help, and I will get to work making this program work for you. All right, let's jump into the show. What they found was that the guys that they thought were the A players were not their A players when it came to, to, to the data. And um, it was like, wow, uh, those are the guys that put on a big show and they work hard when you're there and they're, they're, they're uh, you know, they're charismatic and they, you know, they, 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 they look like they got it going on when you come through, you know, that, that aisle looking around. But when, when no one's looking, their numbers are down. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me here on Just Our Real Estate. I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. Uh, you have tons of information being thrown at you all the time from all corners of every so so uh, social media platform, uh, every podcast that's out there. And you guys are here with me. And I think that's really, really cool. And I appreciate it very much. I have a great show for you today. I'm super, super excited about it. Uh, actually, someone that I've known now for a few years and he is somebody who would be considered by a lot of people in this industry to be a little bit of a unicorn, a little bit of a you know an anomaly or, or something very hard to find. In fact, he would probably be the first one to tell you that he is not that. But what he is, is he's an integrator. He's a COO. He's someone who gets things done. He's an operations person. And he came into a friend of mine's company, Bill Allen, and and help transform that company from a $1 million company to a 3 million and and more 3 million plus i think they're 
uh, they're trending to do about three and a half million this year, and he is the one that 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 runs the operation. He's the COO. Bill brought him in to oversee all of that, and Nate came in and is crushing it. And he's going to tell us exactly how he's doing that, what he attributes that um, relative quick success to, because they were a million dollar business like two years ago. And then they were two million, and this year they're going to be three plus, and they're just growing from there. And they have a very, very smart operation that's very, very profitable, and and just doing some great things. And I'm happy to have him on the show because, frankly, as we grow as entrepreneurs and as real estate investors, sometimes it makes sense. We're not built to be operators as entrepreneurs sometimes, and sometimes it makes sense to bring in a guy like Nate and have him help you with his operations. So uh, I'm super stoked to bring him in, and I'm super stoked to have him available to you guys to hear exactly how he's doing what he does in their company. And it's great stuff. So uh, without any further ado, let's bring on Nate Johnson. All right, Nate Johnson, how you doing, man? Thanks for being here with us. I appreciate you being on the show. Well, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. No problem. How you like that, that, that uh, applause by the whole crew here. <laughs> I, I can tell you weren't expecting it. I saw oh, your face. I, and you're like, <laughs> I usually do it in post, but I think it's fun to do it sometimes and freak people out. So yeah, that's my whole team applauding you being on the show. So listen, man, thanks for doing this. We're super busy. You're a busy guy. Uh, I was late to do this uh, because of traffic, which is, I hate that excuse more than anything in the world, but it was real and, and I had to put my tail between my legs. But thanks for doing this. Um, uh, you, as everyone knows, because I just introduced you, um, you are the COO of Blackjack uh, Real Estate, uh, which is a primarily wholesaling company. I know you guys do some flips, and um, and you've really scaled this thing up. You've you've turned it into something that was uh, very successful into something that I think is wildly successful. I mean, definitely one of the more successful real estate investing companies in the country that I'm aware of. Um, and because I know you personally, I know I know Bill personally, I also personally know that you guys are not full of crap. You're doing what you say you're doing, which is exciting, right? Because in this industry, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who say a lot of things and you have to wonder sometimes, but you guys are the real deal. So I'm excited to have you on uh, because specifically, you're the guy who who makes sure that the trains leave on time and and that numbers are being hit and that you're profitable and, and all that good stuff. So um, you're where the rubber meets the road. And I think it's it's kind of really cool to have someone like you on the show. So again, thanks for doing this. Yeah, Mike, I appreciate it. And appreciate the, the kind words too. I mean, we gotta, we're doing all right. We have a lot of opportunities still, but we're, 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 we're chugging along like everybody else. Yeah, isn't it funny? Uh, two years ago, if if I would have told you guys what you'd be up to, you'd probably be like, "Wow, that's great! We'll be super stoked if we can get there." And then once you get to that point, you can see even farther, right? Now you can you see what the possibilities are, and, and you know you have farther to go. So, very very cool. Let's start off a little bit uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, who haven't heard you on any other podcast. Um, what's your background? Where do you come from? Where did you cut your teeth, and and how did you kind of get to this point? Yeah, I, um, I'm. When it comes to real estate investment, uh, I'm, I would I would still classify myself as a newbie. Honestly, I mean, uh, my core uh, competency with regard to the way I, what's happening now is more around like uh, people people management and you know uh, program implementation is kind of what led me to start working with Bill. It just so happened to be that it was in the real estate industry. So, um, kind of fast, you know, rewind back before I uh, kind of started coming to work with Bill. Um, Went to a college at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I'm originally from a small town in Somerset, uh, Kentucky, um, kind of up the road. Uh, I live in Nashville now with my wife and my daughter. 
we've been here for about five years. Um, but uh, went to school in, in Bowling Green and uh, right out of college, became a police officer. I uh, was a police officer for about six years and then uh, got out of police, office, uh, police work and started doing uh, corporate security and loss prevention for different companies. So <clears throat> kind of um, by accident, got a, um, a knack for coming into companies that did not have asset protection programs, kind of assessing what problems areas they had and presenting a, a case to the powers that be and them saying, hey, let's, let's go with that. And them having me come on, hire the team that I need to hire, implement the business plan that need to be implemented and kind of, you know, ride that train. So um, the first company I, I started working for, I was, you know, I left, left police work had gotten married, had bought a home. And within about five months of working for that company, they, they laid me off. Uh, it was a, a, a entertainment company that distributed uh, CDs and games and books and that kind of thing. So at the time, this is around 2010, the, uh, there weren't a lot of people buying CDs anymore. So, um, <laughs> I kind of, you know, was faced with some adversity and uh, ended up uh, calling a couple buddies from my network. And I went to work doing some retail asset protection for Target for a while. So I, uh, it was a very good uh, um, learning experience for me for, for managing different types of people. Um, it was, uh, I had people that worked for me that were maybe 16 years old and were still in high school to people that were 70 years old. And it was a post-retirement job for them. And then all in between. So yeah. uh and then people that were even from different management levels all the way to entry level. So I would get the frequent, you know, <clears throat> I need to be out for, for two weeks because my wife's having a, a baby or, you know, I overslept and my alarm clock didn't go off. So trying to, to balance, you know, the, the risk mitigation of that while running the store um, and kind of doing that in retail environment. Uh, I learned a lot, but I also learned very soon that I, I didn't want to be in retail anymore. Um, and, uh, from there kind of got, uh, back into the corporate asset protection model and started doing some, some loss prevention for uh, a company called Gilt, G-I-L-T. They were a high, high end e-commerce sales company and, uh, basically managed a team of security, security guards and, uh, investigators that was just tasked with preventing theft and pilferage and, and loss throughout the company. Any type of theft or fraud investigation, any type of security system and anything like that. But, Kind of uh, to my original point, the this company once again was in a position where they had never had an asset protection program. They realized they had some fraud and theft issues, so they, when I was applying for the job, it aligned very well because I had done something similar before. <clears throat> and then, right around the time frame, my wife and I had been married for about five years, and she wanted to kind of relocate back down to the Nashville area where her family was. So, started looking for opportunities and um, found a job. Uh, with Nissan, uh, Nissan North America, you know, large car manufacturer. They have they got a, they're headquartered in, in Franklin, and uh, they have a plant down here in Smyrna, Tennessee. So I was fortunate enough to similar once again. They didn't have a, a loss prevention program that they were kind of looking into in the, in, the, in the plants, and was fortunate enough to find a job with them and worked for them for about four years, and um, was in you know in the corporate ladder, kind of climbing that corporate ladder. Had got a promotion and was really trying to to work my way up. And, um, but I realized that I was, I was really limited. I was, I was a cog in the wheel of, you know, 50,000 people. Right. And, um, you know, I, I, my impact to the company, um, wasn't always, uh, reflected necessarily in the money that I was bringing home. So really started looking <clears throat> at some ways so I could, uh, you know, take, take more control over, over, you know, the, my financial freedom and, uh, started reading some books about, stocks and investing and different things. And I came across, across real estate investing. And, and I'll be honest with you, um, I wasn't really aware of 
all that real estate investing was. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot. So, yeah. uh, you know, I really started kind of diving into the podcasts and the books and, and, and all of that. And um, like I said, I, I think I've, I've, I've told this story before, but the, um, the irony of it all was one of the very first podcasts I ever listened to, I heard Bill on there because he was on a Bigger Pockets podcast when he had just gotten started. I think he had just hired his first employee. <clears throat> and I remember him talking because the, 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 and I think what drew me to that first interview was the theme of the interview was how to be a real estate investor and still have a full-time job. And that was exactly what I was doing at the time. Yeah. I'm, I'm commuting an hour and 15 minutes one way from my home to where I was working in an office. So I had plenty of windshield time to listen to podcasts and, and books. So yeah. uh, I was like, and I just remember, I remember him talking about it. I remember, I remember his, the company name and thinking um, blackjack, that's, that's a kind of a unique name for a real estate company. And then I got into kind of doing my own thing. I ended up building, uh, building our own house in the, in the, in the time, that time frame, and um, got back into uh, kind of my, my knowledge, um, absorbing as much knowledge as possible. And it was weird because it was like one of the first couple of podcasts I listened to when I was back into the mix of trying to build this thing again uh, was Bill again. And he was on uh, Danny Johnson's podcast. <clears throat> and um, he had said on the podcast that he had just moved to Nashville. And um, I was like, man, you know, this is what are the chances that I heard this guy again? And he's lives here in Nashville. Right. So I reached out to him and um, we had lunch and uh, I was building my own thing. And I was really coming to him trying to get some, you know, maybe some mentorship kind of doing the I'll work for free for to help you for some education. Uh, then the, the conversation kind of turned into, Hey, um, would you might want to maybe look at this, this market and maybe do some JV deals together. And then the kind of conversation shifted into him asking me, do you know anybody that would want to be, um, that was looking for a COO job and, uh, you know, whether or not he was planting the seed or not at the time, I don't know. I remember it was like a Tuesday morning, uh, at like, uh, 10 o'clock, we were at the waffle house in Springfield, uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee. He walks in and he has a roll of computer paper that is like the size of a baseball bat with all these notes and stuff. And I said, is that, is that how you keep track of all your stuff? Everything? He was like, he's like, Oh man, I've got stacks of computer paper everywhere. And, uh, he's like, I need a COO to come in and help me. And I was like, Wow. Okay. But when he said it, I honestly, it did not, it didn't resonate with me that like it was even something that I'd be interested in because I was still focused on doing my own thing. Yeah. And I just, you know, I was driving home on the hour and 15 minute drive home through Nashville traffic with, you know, you, you know, you just got done dealing with Detroit traffic. Uh, it was just kind of like, there's an opportunity. It's right in front of your face here. And it might not have been packaged the way that I thought it was going to be. But, you know, the next day I called him up and said, Hey, I don't know if you were talking or if you're interested in me coming to work for you, but it might be something that I'd be, be want to talk a little bit more about. So we kind of talked about that. That was like in October and it was, I think around December the 20th or so that I started working with him. So it was about a two and a half time, month time frame of us talking back and forth. Uh, my wife came down and met his wife. We ate dinner at his, his place. And um, it was a, uh, it was a, it was definitely a, we, we, we vetted each other out before we decided to kind of take the plunge together. So in, in the long and short of things, that's kind of how I've, I'm kind of got to this point today. So we, I've been been with Bill now since uh, December of 2017 and, you know, coming up here in the next month, it'll be right at two years. So it's, it's been a fun ride so far. Yeah. So if I know Bill at all, he did have you in mind when he was asking if you knew anybody. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that was his only plan, but I, I have a hard time believing that he, it didn't cross his mind 
originally. Um, that's kind of a little inception there. Like, hey, do you know anybody? It's funny. That's the same technique that I tell people works sometimes effectively when you're looking for private money. You take somebody out who has money and say, hey, listen, I would like some advice. Do you know anybody who'd be interested in this? It's very indirect. It's very non-threatening. But yeah, yeah. very, very cool. And then I, I know, like, give us some context. When Bill, so Bill back in 2000 and uh, uh, 16, like the beginning of 2016, him and I joined the seven figure flipping mastermind uh, at the same time. I think he'd only done like one deal. So he, he really wasn't, you know, you want to talk about a newbie, like he was pretty new. Um, and then, so that was when he started in 2016. Um, when he met, when you guys got together, it was only like 2007 is like a two, almost two years later, not quite two years later, you guys got together. Where was his business at that point? Um, and I, we don't have to get deep into numbers, but like, like how many people did he have? Like how many deals was he doing? Like what kind of a business was it when you walked into it? Yeah. I mean, so the, the, the need for me to come on wasn't because, um, he really needed the help operationally per se. It was because he was ready to start working some more on the, the coaching side of the business. <clears throat> so he needed somebody to kind of fill that void. And he was, he was wanting to work less and less in the business. So he got into, he'd gotten the company by himself. So they, they were producing well over a million dollars a year in gross. And I think there were about a, uh, uh, about a 15 person team when I came on. Okay. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like anything was severely broken by any means. And I think that he could have, um, he could have continued generating over a million dollars year, year in and year out uh, without even bringing on a COO um, so it was a, it was more of a, him trying to get more of his time back. Yeah. Uh, and it was the necessity of needing someone to come in and fix a lot of things. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing too. People talk about, well, oh, I don't want to hire people. I, you know, I don't want to pay everyone. I'm not going to make as much. It's true. Like Andy McFarlane, um, says, and I have quoted this on recent shows, you can stay small and keep it all, man. You can do a couple hundred thousand dollars gross and, and just keep all the profits. And, but you're a one man band, you get sick, your everything stops, right? Production stops. Um, when you hire people, when you bring people on, it's a, it's a challenge. It brings up other issues that you have to deal with, but it, you share in some of that that profitability. But it's the time, right? And sometimes I think it really depends on who you're talking to. If you're talking to someone in their early twenties, like I don't hire anybody, I don't care, I have plenty of time, right? You talk to someone who's in their like mid to late thirties and forties and fifties, and time is extremely valuable. Uh, I would uh, all all day long, every day, and twice on Sundays, I would trade. Uh, profitability for time, any any time, because that's just important to me. Time's important to me. Time with my family, um, just just free time. So, um, so he brought you on. He already had about fifteen people. He was doing over a million dollars. Pretty good little business. Um, so when you came in from the outside, I mean, you were doing real estate, obviously, but you have a background in other other things. What did you see when you walked in the doors? And, and I'm being a little bit facetious. You didn't. You guys don't have doors. You're virtual. But what did you see yeah. when you came into the company? What were your first impressions, and where did you see that you could make the most impact? Yeah. So the, a lot of a lot of just uh, you know like true visionary people like Bill. Um, him and I have a very similar personality type, but he's way more of a visionary than I am. And a lot of the things that made the business run were still in his brain. Um, and you know, if, if he removed himself, the business kind of shut down and, um, the, I'm sorry, without the, without the replacement of somebody, obviously. And that's kind of where I came, but uh, a lot of pretty much every decision that was being made for the most part kind of ran through him. Um, he was being kind of tied down uh, a lot, a lot more than minutia than he should have been. Um, systems and processes were, were, were humming along pretty good. 
Um, I think that, uh, that that was the biggest thing for me was that I was I was really impressed with kind of the, the state of the business as it as it pertained to the the, the, the processes, but um, the decision making and the autonomy uh, like delegation really wasn't wasn't very high because it was still Bill was making all the decisions. Um, and then the um, the other thing was just the um, we had we had some we had some people problems we had to we had to solve. Um, and we just kind of had to kind of assess those and prioritize them and, and, and kind of deal with them one at a time. But that was the biggest thing is we, um, you know, from a, from an owner standpoint, I think it's, uh, and I, I've said this before and it's, 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 it's so true. And it's, it's, if you're the owner of a business, <clears throat> when you're the guy that's doing that thing all the time and someone comes in and does it to the point of where it's satisfactory to you and you don't have to look that way anymore, um, it is so, it's so, you know, uh, freeing for you to not have to worry about that anymore. And, and somebody's like, somebody's taking care of it and you're not worrying about it anymore. And I think that because you turn and you look in another direction, that person realizes that maybe you're not looking as much as you were before and their execution of that task isn't nowhere close to what you would like it done at, but it is getting done. Yeah. So I think that there, was, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, um, boxes were getting checked, but they were getting checked. I've used this at more like a, um, like a two out of 10 instead of a, a, a eight to nine out of 10, um, where they should have been. Yeah. So, so Bill was making all the decisions you come in. Uh, I'm, I know it was a process and it was a transition. How long did it take before you felt like, okay, he has now given me control of this company. How, how long of a, of a transitional process was that for you? Or has he given you control? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I know he did, yeah. and I know there's things he's still involved in, in some to some extent. I get that. But like, where did you feel like, okay, now this is different? I don't feel like he's looking over my shoulder anymore. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was probably more of a me uh, being fully comfortable with making the decision, and, and less about him saying, "Okay, it's you." But it, that was probably about six months. It was probably six months from the time I started to the time where I felt like that probably 95% of the time I didn't need to go to him. Okay. Uh, there was still about, you know, like a 5% time where there'd be some, some kind of deal that would come through that I, I had never seen before. Yeah. There was some situation that I hadn't, hadn't dealt with. And um, it wasn't that I didn't know what to do, uh, but it was more around the lines that say, Hey, this is what I'm thinking. Just want to make sure this is where, where your head's at too. Uh, because there's a lot of times, um, a lot of times where, um, there are layers to certain situations that, you know, I might not have been privy to that have happened before I came on that I wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a comprehensive understanding of this circumstance before I kind of, you know, pick a road. So sure. that was more what it was towards the end. It was, it was less about understanding exactly what the best practice should be and just making sure that am I looking, am I, am I, am I playing devil's advocate as much as I should for, for these different situations? So it was about six months before uh, kind of fully got, got the reins. Okay, and when you came in, uh, you know, you you talked about Bill having that roll of paper. Roll of paper. I love that story, but I've never heard that. That roll of papers kind of just wadded up when he came in to talk to you. Um, my guess is you said there were there were systems and processes, and I I, I definitely believe that because I know Bill. He's he's he is a sharp guy. But what what tools or um, philosophies or structure? If any, did you bring in from the outside where you said, hey, listen, I, I think this might be a good way to do this? Or like, was there a lot of that? Or was it you just like taking the wheel that was already there and tweaking? Or did you come in with any any like outside processes and things that you wanted to, to, to do? Yeah, so it was funny. Whenever we first started kind of talking back and forth about the, the potential of me coming to work for him, uh, he recommended the book Rocket Fuel. So... 
I read Rocket Fuel, and if, it, you know, if, you, if you've read Rocket Fuel, in, in, in the end, it talks a lot about the the EOS system, the entrepreneurial operating system. Yep. And um, I was going through that book, and I was like, man, this is this is gold. And I, I remember making like a mental note to myself that like, if if I come work for this guy, we're gonna we're gonna do this because I'm working in corporate America, and I'm I'm in this large company <clears throat> who has a proprietary version of similar things. Uh, if you've heard like Lean Six Sigma and all that other yeah, stuff, yeah. Uh, the Nissan has their own internal kind of processes that are, are very similar to all of that stuff. You know, best practices, way to kind of solve uh, problem solving techniques. And, uh, but the way that EOS had it packaged, uh, it was just, it was simple and it was easy to understand and it was direct. And, um, you know, I'm all about, um, tracking numbers and giving yourself an objective way to steer the organization. Um, one of the things I was learned a lot in the manufacturing and warehousing environment was it's very easy. Um, I was actually fortunate enough to be involved in a uh, implementation of a of, of workforce management system in a warehousing environment. Okay. And basically they, they brought in uh, industrial engineers and they were, tracking everybody and, and making timing this, how long should it take for this to do this? And they, they standardized everything. And it was so funny because I remember in the beginning, they, you know, and I'm kind of the outsider looking in because I'm looking at this from a security and loss prevention standpoint. I'm not looking at it from a production standpoint. So I had a very, a very unique seat to watch this happen. <clears throat> and we were talking maybe to the, the packing supervisor and the shipping supervisor and, and, and the warehousing supervisor. And they're talking about who their, who their A players are. And I remember this conversation about, hey, you know, Mike, Mike's the guy. Mike is going to blow this out of the water. Because what they did is they said, okay, hey, if, if 100% is here, if you guys can get 105%, we're going to pay you like 15 cents more an hour. If you can get 120%, we're going to pay you a dollar more an hour, hypothetically. Yep. What, they, what they found was that the guys that they thought were the A players were not their A players when it came to, to, to the data. And um, it was like, wow, uh, those are the guys that put on a big show and they work hard when you're there and they're, they're, they're uh, you know, they're charismatic and they, you know, they, 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 they look like they got it going on when you come through, you know, that, that aisle looking around. But when, when no one's looking, their numbers are down. Okay. And uh, that really was a huge wake up call for me in terms of the objectivity of being able to manage your people with data. Um, I'm, I'm big on the qualitative discussions that take place of how things go and how do you feel all that kind of thing. But being able to kind of add the data, the data manage aspect of it was, was huge because the data doesn't lie. And uh, it's always a way that you can have a conversation with somebody and manage their, manage their um, performance objectively. And they know that it's, you know, you're not coming from any, you're not coming from opinion. You're not coming from, you know, some type of jaded view of them. It's, it's all based upon their performance. So I really love the US model because it tied in some of that as well. And when I talked to Bill, you know, he's an engineer as well. And we both said, hey, listen, I, I think this is what we, we, want, we want to start implementing. So that was honestly the, the very first thing that we started working with was, okay, let's take, let's take the company as is and implement EOS into the business. Nice. I like that. I, I, that's awesome. And that traction model is such a cool, like you said, it's clear, it's direct, it's to the point, it's very objective. That scorecard mentality where people have a number and you track metrics and, and like you said, numbers don't lie. You can think that the problem is, and, and I I dove into this a little bit in um, at Flip Hacking Live when we were there, but um, the, the problem is some people manage by feeling. Like feels like we're doing, you know, feels like we're doing a lot. I, I know we just closed five deals last week, so we must be doing great. But you know they're not tracking their expenses. They have no idea if they're actually profitable, and that that 
that running your business by by gut feeling it's it's fine maybe when you're like a one person operation you're doing one deal every six months it's pretty easy to keep track of that way but when you start ramping up and I mean even like a deal a month or a couple deals a month you lose track real fast and if you're flipping if that's your game um, it's even worse because there's so much money going in and out so fast and such huge waves uh, it's really difficult you can feel and, and the opposite can be true you can feel like you're kind of not doing that great but but the fact of the matter is you have all this equity out there that's getting ready to to close and you're actually doing fine, but your bank account is empty and it's stressful and and all that can be solved if you just use a, a model like traction or something similar and track your numbers and understand who's actually performing for you, what metrics are working for you, which marketing channels are working, which salespeople are actually closing at a higher rate, but not just coming in and talking about all of their appointments and how great it went, but actually closing and, and bringing in contracts. So that's awesome. That's super, super powerful. So when you came in, Bill, was the man and then you come in how was that received everyone welcomed you with open arms i said this is great new blood can't wait to get this guy in here and evaluate me what, what was the what was the, the thought process there how did you perceive their their response to you i i was i was welcome for sure and i, I think that uh everybody was it was cautiously optimistic of me coming on uh so the, the way I, you know, I really have to give credit to bill for the way that he um announced my my onboarding and kind of that I was coming and what what I was going to be doing so uh and we kind of we talked about it in advance I had been working with him at his house uh without the rest of the company even knowing that I was getting hired for about uh about a week and a half two weeks before the Christmas party um the year in Christmas party and that was the the the, the, the last time of the year that everybody in the company was going to be in the same place at the same time and um so Showed up that morning and he was like, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce you here because <laughs> like I'm sitting in the room with 14 other people and um, they're like, who is this guy? They've never seen me. They don't know me. So uh, Bill kind of tells the team, "Hey, this is Nate. I'm, I brought him on, you know, as the COO. He's gonna be helping me get, get things together." And and, and Bill was very humble about <clears throat> what his uh, his own limitations were with regard to skill set and time. You know, he's like, "I just don't I just don't have the time to do the things that I need to do to get this business to the next level." And all and, and the way that he the way that he said it was great um, was that every one of the people on the team at the time had said, "Hey, we we want to grow, we want to keep doing more business, we want to do all of these things." So Bill's response to the team's motivation to grow was to bring in someone to help kind of help me do that. Yeah. Because keep in mind too, um, you know, Bill is not only running this company, but he's also taking over the reins of the COO position of the house flipping formula now seven figure flipping company, and then he's also flying to the Navy. And he's also has three kids under five. Yeah. So I mean, it was like it was crazy. He's got like five full time jobs already, and uh, <laughs> so you know, big coming in was. I think that everybody saw that as a way to kind of. Uh, it was more about great. We can we can grow, and it takes some of this off of Bill's plate. And there's somebody here kind of at the helm that's uh, full time now because I'm sure they they probably felt a little bit of it too. Of you know, Bill being in pulled a lot of different directions. So initial receipt was great, um, and then. Um, I kind of went around and just started. I sat in every single seat and kind of watched and with my you know hands off and kind of understood what is this person doing, what's this role? Because like I said, I mean, I I, I still can classify myself as a newbie because I've, I've really only been involved in real estate investing now and all for about three and a half years and working for Bill now for about two. Uh, so I still I didn't know what I didn't know and I wanted to before I put my foot in my mouth or try to start changing things. I wanted to have an understanding of, of current state and um, the team was really welcoming. And I, I went around and, and said lead and take and acquisitions and dispositions and uh, transactions and really got a good understanding and 
kind of took went back to Bill and said, "Hey, you know, here here are the here are the you know people process product. Uh, here are the areas that I see that we might have some opportunities." Yeah. And uh, and that's kind of where um, if there was a conflict, that's when it started to kind of kind of happen because um, uh, not between Bill and I, uh, it was more a lot of the conflict with the team because there was. Here's current state. Here's where we need to be. See, all of this was happening in my onboarding at the same time of implementing EOS too, right? So yeah. it was very easy for me to come in and say, hey, nothing's being tracked right now to this capacity. Hi, I'm Nate. And now I need you to hit this number every week. <laughs> it, it, it happened at the same time. So they, they, got, a, they got a lot at the same time. Uh, and um, yeah, so it was, in, in, it was going from not having to track or report your numbers at all to tracking it and reporting on a weekly basis. And if you weren't hitting it, there was there was you know consequences with regard to that, and um, there were a lot of, a lot of conversations I think that were had that I, I was not privy to uh, that went from you know employee directly to Bill that said, hey, do you know what this guy's doing? You know he's asking me to do this, he's asking me to hit this number and all this other stuff. So um, I will say that you know when it comes to the implementation of, of, of EOS or even the onboarding of a COO but that. CEO, COO, kind of being on the same page, shared shared vision, always having each other's back is, is is crucial because if at any given time that he would have been like, oh yeah, what is that guy doing? Or I didn't say that, it would have it would have completely it would have cut me off at the knees and I would have lost all traction that I was yeah. getting. You know, no pun intended, but yeah. it was uh, that was kind of what happened. So I think that they they were welcome of of me, but also cautiously optimistic. Okay. Um, we could literally, like, I could literally talk to you for hours and hours and hours about this whole process because, um, you guys have done such an amazing job. And I, like you said, Bill, Bill owns this company. He, he now owns, um, seven figure flipping that company. Um, he still flies for the Navy. He still has kids under five, right? And he's married and all this stuff. He's, he's busy as can be. And, and I don't mean this. I, I joke with Bill. We're, we're super good friends and I tease him a lot and things like that. But the reality is you're doing, you're, you're the one that's pushing this forward at this point. And maybe I'm out of, out of turn a little bit, but the reality is this Bill's Bill can't spend all of his time in blackjack real estate. He can't, and he's not And, and you are, you're doing that. Right. So, um, the company growing and success, and I know Bill would, would, he would agree with me a hundred percent and you're a humble guy. So I'm not, I'm not looking for confirmation, but I know Bill would echo this a hundred percent if he was on this, in this podcast, that it is your show. You're, you're doing this and you, uh, you deserve the credit for where this company is heading and how well it's going. Um, I know Bill's involved and you talk, but uh, enough about that. Okay. So that's how I feel about it. Um, and it's impressive, and I could talk to you for hours about this, but let's let's maybe give people some highlights. And we we kind of did. Traction was a huge part of it, right? Going and evaluating people, implementing traction. Um, but but the reality is, is you guys have you guys have grown in gross profits by about two million dollars over the last few years, right? That's that's no small feat. Other than traction, um, implementing traction, what would you say are some of the bigger um, needle movers that you have implemented or that you've seen or that's happened in your business? What do you attribute the growth of the company to once you take the fact that you came in and brought your skills and then you applied traction? Like what else is doing it for from your perspective? 100% team, your, your team, your, your, your personnel. It is honestly, you might not, I, I appreciate the comments, but Really, I mean, they the, the team that we have in place now is they're the ones that are in the trenches and they're getting it done. It, it makes my, my life so easy 
be able to sit back and just <clears throat> get reports from them about what's going. And then when I'm needed and I need to, to you know, remove this roadblock or acquire this resource for them or coach them on this certain thing or, or that kind of thing uh, or analyze this issue. Um, that's really where my job has finally gotten to now. The first year, um, I really wasn't in a COO position. It was more like uh, firefighter and, 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 you know, really kind of just getting everything organized or builder really. And now, and now it's kind of really gotten into the, the, the COO stuff so I can focus on the, the higher level stuff, but it's our team. And, and, and um, from it, it took a while to get to that point. It was about a year, I guess I would say from the time um, I fully kind of took over. So about a year and a half into um, you know, me coming on to where I felt like we really had a, a solid team of A players across the board. And then that's when we saw some of that exponential growth was that because it, 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 it's, it's, not rocket science. When you look at it, it's you're taking your vision and your your work ethic. And we talked about this before. Is the <clears throat> and I'm, we're we're very big on this. Is the the core value alignment. Um, and and day one, step one, when you're starting your company and you're you're talking about bringing someone on other than yourself, that's that's the number one thing is your core values. And I think you know Bill and I we beat our heads against the wall for a long time uh, in the beginning trying to figure out like. <clears throat> Why does this person just not speak the same language that we do? Why do they not get it? We always used to say, why do they not get it? Yeah. And it was that they're looking at life and work through a lens that's much different than our own. And, you know, he and I, you know, are very aligned on our core values. So, you know, extreme ownership, stewardship, hard work, integrity, personal and professional development. And, you know, you can ask anybody in our company and they'll be able to name off that much because that's that quickly. That's because it's, it's that crucial to our company and who we bring on. Um, when you've got people that that value the same things that you do, these conversations are easy. Yeah. And you're, you're looking at things through the same lens and there's not these like, you ever have a conversation with somebody about something and it's just like, you just, you feel like you're on two different planets. Yeah. yeah. It's one thing to have that in, um, it's one thing to have that in your personal life, but when you're having those conversations in business, <laughs> they can be pretty detrimental. So um, I, I can promise you that if you can find and build a team that is aligned with your core values, those conversations like that will be will be few and far between uh, in terms of you know being completely on different planets. So aligning on core values and building a team around that um, w w was huge. Um, but and that the synergy of implementing accountability and process improvement through EOS with hiring a team of rock stars. I mean, it's 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 game changing when you can get do the same simultaneously. How much of that team of fifteen is still around now, two years later? In any capacity, other, uh, than right you, now, other than you and Bill, me and Bill is are the only two that are left right now that okay. are that with the company when, when I first started. Yep. <clears throat> and what's interesting, and and I kind of know you just said it really, um, but I want to make sure everyone understands who's listening to this. <clears throat> and we talked about this uh, recently. The way that you guys hire now, if correct me if I'm wrong your number one thing that you look at or something that is early on in the process is making sure that core values align, right? As opposed to tons of experience doing whatever job you're hiring them to do, right? So you have two people. One has some experience, not bad. The other one has just monster experience. The first person matches your core values to a T. The other person, maybe not so much. Who are you hiring? 
I mean, the, the person that doesn't match our core values is not even a consideration. Yeah, right, right. So, so, and the point I'm trying to make here, if I'm not driving home hard enough for people listening, is sometimes, or a lot of times, people hire to experience, you know, and I've done this, I've been guilty of this. I hired someone who had, I mean, on paper, they should have transformed my business single-handedly. They were so great. And, and their core values just didn't align. And I didn't take the time to analyze them from the perspective of core values and it was a disaster, right? I've done it more than once, unfortunately. Um, and it took me a while. And, and honestly, I didn't even realize that. I, I know you guys are huge on core values. I get that. And, and frankly, a lot of people say it, right? Our core values, our core values. And then you ask them and they can't tell you what they are. So you guys, though, really, really put an uh, unbelievable amount of emphasis on core values and the rest of it can be developed, can be coached, can be trained, can be learned on the job, but core values is huge. And I, I think if, if, and you've, you've mentioned this, but that's a huge part of, of why you guys are where you are. You said it yourself, the team, right? And it's not a team of who people who came in highly, maybe highly qualified or highly, you know, tons of experience. It was like, they were the right people with experience and, and then you kind of bring them into your culture. So I think that's huge. I think people just think it's it's all resume, man. Let's just look at the resume and they do kind of like a an obligatory interview where they just ask softball questions and then they hire the person and they wonder why it doesn't work. My guy, I, I tell you, so we we it took a long time to develop this process and we 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 hired uh, and let go a lot of people throughout that. But what we've kind of developed and 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 now I'm training the leadership team in the company to, to kind of hire and interview the same way is <clears throat> unless you've got a really highly specialized role, that's going to take years of experience to, to understand the technicality of this and all of that. Um, I don't really care if you've got experience doing it or not <clears throat> prior. So when, with regard to like any, any type of sales role, especially the an acquisitions with the type of sales that we're doing, um, I will take you off the street if you've got the right core values fit. And then, you know, we can open up, you know, Pandora's box and talk about personality profile testing, which is another element of, of what we do. But um, and, and it's 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 heavily to, to to screen out people in advance of ever even talking to them about their core values. It helps us do that. Uh, but if you've got the right personality type and your core values fit, um, I, it's not it's nice to have a resume that says you you know and understand what sales is. But we've built a team now and processes where I know that if if you're hungry and you've got the right core values, we can train you how we want to be. It's almost, it's almost beneficial sometimes when you don't have any training previously, because it, we're starting with a clean slate. We don't have to unteach you certain things. Yeah. So, um, you know, that, that's been huge. But when it comes to our interview process, you talked about like softball questions for an interview, man, we, when I'm asking somebody an interview question, I, I'm trying to ask leading questions around core values fits to understand how they're going to fit. And I, like, and, and you can you can ask somebody's core values fits while also getting an understanding of their past. So, for example, um, our number one is extreme ownership. So I'd say, hey, Mike, listen, uh, can you give me an example of a time where you know things didn't really necessarily go? It was maybe a project or a a uh, assignment that you were in charge of, and, and things didn't really go as planned, and um, it didn't you, you didn't meet a goal, or, or you would te technically call it a, the project was a failure. Can you tell me about what what happened and and, and how that situation went down? You're going to learn all you need to know about the extreme ownership uh, uh, characteristic by the way they answer that question. Yeah. If they go, well, you know, my boss didn't necessarily tell me exactly how to do it. And, you know, I didn't have the right tools and I didn't do all this other stuff. 
you know, we're probably going to, I'm not asking a couple more questions to kind of get a little bit more, but I'm going to, I'm going to tell you right now that probably ownership's not going to be a, probably a great quality of theirs. If they start off and they say, you know, I just didn't do what I needed to do. I didn't clear, I didn't get clarification. I didn't, uh, I didn't lobby for the right resources. And at the end of the day, you know, there were some things that I could have done better. And, and ultimately I learned a lot. And, you know, I, I look at it as a learning experience, but ultimately it was a failure. It was on me. That you're going to, you're going, and, and traditionally when you think about the way that maybe, uh, you've been trained through whether it be high school and college about how to interview and how to act in that, like taking ownership like that isn't necessarily something that they're, they're probably telling people to do right now. No, no. And uh, it's, it's, it's kind of flipped a lot of what we're doing on our head. So if I can find somebody in an interview that, that will take ownership of a, of a mistake and a failure and not try to blame anybody else, they're, they're going to be far further ahead in the conversation than someone else that's got a resume that is, you know, 10 pages long of all the things that we have asking for in terms of a, you know, pre qualifications. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's such a, you know, people ask that question, but I don't think they listen the way that you're listening for it, right? I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I, you know, I've hired a lot of people too, and I've had to fire a lot of people. I've had people in in interviews that I was so enamored with other parts of their qualification, meaning like their background or whatever their experience that. I would hear a red flag, like, you know, my boss and I just didn't get along and that's why I didn't work. And I would kind of, I would hear it and I knew it hit me weird, but I would be so focused on, but they're so, they have so much experience that they could make this, they, and what, and I'll, I'll, I'll just admit this, part of my, my process or, or my thought process when I was hiring people was, how easy will it be to plug them in and just let them go, right? So you talk about like transactions and you, you guys have done this and I've done it too on the exact same position. So I'll talk about this one. Transactions for us and wholesaling is the person who's dealing with the closing aspect of it, whether that's a title company or attorney, whatever, they're the ones that are making sure the closing docs are getting done and that buyers and sellers are wiring in their money and all their documents and then getting the thing to closing, right? It's the paperwork and the process part of it. And we've both hired people that had just rock star experience in that yep. area and, and they flamed out for both of us for different reasons. But I ignored, <laughs> the person that I hired literally told me in the interview I have never gotten along with any boss I've ever had, and I still hired the person because she had like 25 years worth of title experience, and I thought, she's forgotten more than I know, and yeah. she can really come in and, and, and move the needle for us. She understands how title companies work. She knows the inside of the machine. She'll be able to manipulate it and kind of get us things done faster and more efficiently. Man, she told me she doesn't get along with any of her bosses, and I still hired her it, because I thought it was going to be a plug-and-play easier hire for me than someone I have to train up, right? So lessons learned, man, but you're right. Those core values are huge. And she flamed out because, by the way, there was a mutiny in our company. Everyone came to me individually and said, I can't work with her. She's horrible. She's a horrible person and she's a liar. And I just, I can't do it. And it wasn't one person. It was like everybody individually came up and said, I can't, I can't do this. Yeah. Right. She was a cancer. Like she was totally poisoning my company. And I, I defended her for a while and said, eh, you know, I think she just has a bad personality, frankly. And you know, she, she needs someone to just kind of give her a break, but nope, she was, she was definitely the wrong person. You said something a second ago that I, I want to make sure that everybody everybody picked up on and actually heard it was that whenever you're hearing somebody talk about something, you say that it's it's that stung. That's that's that core value. Like that's somebody that's somebody breaking your core values right there, and that you you feel that, and that it just it feels a little bit like it feels a little gross. It's like oh, that I, I would not have said that. Like that's not how I would have said that. 
Like that, if you start feeling that way, because there's another element of hiring our people that, that you know that it's other than like core values fit. That's as, as foundational as possible. It, it's just trust your gut. Yeah. You know, I, I look at I look at um, my dad told me when I was you know growing up, he was like, you know, never go buy a car. Uh, or, or some type of purchase like this, unless you're walking away feeling like you're getting the best deal possible. If there's any element out there that like you're a little bit uneasy about, then don't don't do it. And that's the way I also look at you know hiring people too. Is that like if there's any element that for, for me is a little bit uncertain, like if something just doesn't add up, um, unless you can really articulate to me um, why I should consider you otherwise. Um, I'm probably not going to do it. And, and, and the reason is, is that I've, I've learned the hard way so many times when you've got that rock star on paper. Listen, we had a guy, <clears throat> we were having, a, we had, a, we had a problem in one of our markets uh, trying to find an acquisition threat. This guy comes through and this, these are, these are the hires I'm going to tell you about right now that when we were, we were lining on EOS was churning. We were getting the, um, we were getting the personality profile testing, getting it, getting it humming, but we still had not committed to full blown core values first. So even with even with the resume, even with the personality type, this guy comes in. Guy was an entrepreneur, had his own company, um, and um, basically, he, I sold my company. Uh, I'm now, I've been sitting around. I'm not doing a whole lot. I'm ready to go do something else. Had a degree from a highly touted college. Was uh, well respected in the community. I've done a lot of research. Obviously, I, I, I pretty much you know investigate everybody before we bring anybody on. At face value, this guy was a rock star. But there was just this thing in my gut that was just like, what? Something just smells bad here. What, what is this thing? And, um, you know, obviously, within about three weeks of working with this guy, we found out that there was a lot of stuff going on in his personal life that the, the facade that he had built before had just kind of crumbled in the background. And he was looking for some other way to kind of bring in some money. And um, it, it, it's, it's your, gut, your gut feeling is there for a reason. And it's, 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 uh, you know, it's kept, it's kept humans alive for thousands and thousands of years. And, uh, you know, it, it will keep your company alive if you, uh, if you trust it. That's funny, man. That gut has been honed over, you know, a millennia. You, yeah. you really should trust it more. I, I think a lot of times too, like I bring this back to my experience. I, I don't like, you know, pointing fingers at other people. I think the reason why I've done it and why probably some other people do it, even when their gut is telling them no, it's because in their mind they're going, we just we need someone so bad, right? They they hire because they get a little desperate because maybe they've interviewed a half a dozen or a dozen people and none of them felt right. And then they just go, well, listen, we got to get somebody in here. Let's just bring them in and or bring her in. And then it, it's just, it never works out. It's just, I've never heard a story where someone said, I hired this person. They seemed horrible in the interview, but they had good experience. My gut told me don't do it. And they're great. And they've never been no issues, right? It just doesn't happen that way. It always works the other way, though. They go, my, I knew it. In my gut, I knew it. It was a bad idea. I did it anyway. And not just about hiring. I'm almost anything in life. When your gut is screaming, don't do it, and you do it, it never really works out. So, um, you know, but the flip side of it is what I like that you said, though, Nate, is you don't go in there with like, you know, you walk into an interview, you have no paper, no pencil, no nothing, and you just you just riff with them and go on your gut, right? Like you use data. You have profile, personality profile tools that you use that help you filter people out. And you're asking yeah. specific questions for specific reasons. And, and I think sometimes people go real hard on the data and they ignore their gut. Or it's all gut, 
and zero science. And, and I don't think that's great either. It's a good marriage of like, let's look at the data. What is the data telling us? And then let's interview them and, and listen to our gut and use those, all those tools at our disposal to make a good decision. Yeah, we, we use um, the data kind of as a filtering tool. So we will, we will, you know, we have a job posting that 300 people apply for, and we'll, we'll run them through certain profile tests to get them down to maybe a pool of, let's say, five applicants that now we know have the right personality type for that specific role. And then we will get into the conversations around core values, and that will usually get people down to around, you know, two to three of those five. And then, and then from there, we, we very, with, with as little human capital as possible, uh, gotten from 300 applicants to two, yeah. and now we can make a decision based upon our leadership team as to who we think the best, the best fit is for the role. So, you know, if you're still in a position to where, you know, everybody, everybody that's applying for a job, you're, you're taking a look at that resume and you're having to like really think that there might be some rock stars on a resume yeah. that, that, that we miss. And I'll be the first one to admit that. Um, and there might be somebody that doesn't have this, the, the, their percentage of this personality type is just not right where it needs to be. And they, they fall through the cracks, yeah. but I'll bet on the data every time and say that our likelihood of success is going to be a lot higher, not to mention that's time you'll never get back of analyzing a bunch of people that don't fit that mold. Yeah. So I would much rather say I'm, I'm, I'm having a hundred percent success rate of the people that I am looking at here. I know that they could work for us. Yeah then try to sift through a bunch of people that could never work for you because they're not the right personality fit. Um, and then, so it's the data first. So quantitative first, and then we kind of confirm our selection with the, the quant, uh, qualitative stuff. So that the core values. So when, when they are both of those fit, we feel, we feel very good about, you know, kind of making a selection based upon those things. And, and so far it's, it's been, it's been a good, a good formula. And like I said, we've, um, we've failed a lot to get to the point where we've kind of, crafted that model. Um, so yeah, a good, good point to make those you guys, by your own words, you failed a lot to get there, but even during the failures, you guys have experienced growth, right? So my point being to everyone out there, don't be afraid to hire because you might make a bad hire. You, you almost certainly will make a bad hire at some point, Uh, but but yeah, you have to, to kind of learn and get to the point. And it's sometimes it's a top grading thing. You hire someone that's good enough in the in the moment. And I don't mean you hire them because they're good enough, but you hire them, and it turns out maybe they have a good culture fit, but they're just they're not the the person maybe who's going to be the long term. And it's fine. We don't all hire perfectly right from the beginning. Nobody does, but you can hire and still build a company responsibly, profitably, and kind of move that ball forward as you're constantly reassessing. And you guys assess your team. How often do you assess your team? Well, monthly. I mean, we, we do, we, we, I mean, technically when you talk about, depending on the, uh, when you say, are you talking personality assessment or performance assessment? I mean, I know you, you have metrics and things that you, that you analyze on a monthly basis, but I mean, when, how often do you and or Bill sit down and just have a, have a look at everybody say, okay, this person is in this role. How did they do last quarter, last year? And not necessarily just numbers, but in general, like, do you guys have a quarterly or yearly view where you grade your employees just overall performance? Or is that not something that you do at this point? Cause you're tracking it so closely during the, the months. No, we, we do. So, so th- that level of kind of the, 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 the macro view of the team's performance, we do that on a, on a quarterly basis. Sure. Uh, and and honestly, that's that's part of the the EOS model where you know you're doing what they call your people analyzer, and you're basically ranking everybody's performance once again to the core values. Yeah. Right. And you're saying, hey, Mike was Mike uh, exuded uh, extreme ownership most of the time this quarter. Yep, he did. How, how did he do with stewardship this this month? Oh yeah, I, I know a couple of times he he 
He helped me out with a couple things that didn't, didn't, you know, didn't ask for anything in return. Okay, there we go. Hey, uh, was there a time where he, you know, showed uh, hard work throughout the quarter? Absolutely. So we go through every single quarter and look at every single employee and give them a, give them a rank of, of that. And then at the end, after we've talked about their core values, we say, hey, does Mike, does Mike get the role? Does he really understand like what he's supposed to be doing here? Yes or no? Um, does he want the role? That's, that's huge. Like, does he really want to be in this seat? Because uh, you can be great at a seat and not want it. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to be, you know, not, not batting a thousand percent. And then at the end of the day, the other one is, do they have the capacity? Uh, do they have, does he have, does he have the, uh, the, the intelligence, the time, the training to actually perform this role at the level that our expectation is. So if they meet all the core values and they, what they call GWC, get it, want it capacity, they're, we're going to keep going. And um, if they don't have one of those, then we bring it up as an issue and our leadership team talks about it. And, you know, that person might go on some type of coaching plan or they might be moved to a different seat in the company that is better suited for them. Or we might, you know, decide to, to part ways depending on the, you know, the, complexity of the issue. Okay. That makes sense. I, I get it. And and that is that whole traction model. And, and I, and I like that, that, uh, you know, the, the get it, want it and the capacity, because all those things have to be in alignment for it to make sense uh, for somebody to stay aboard where they are in the company. Um, okay, great. So we've kind of, we've moved through and we've talked about how you guys have gotten where you've gotten and, and kind of analyzed the company that you're, that you're running. Um, let's talk a little bit about for the people that are maybe just a little higher level and they're like, Hey, I'm doing, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 deals a year. And I might want a guy like Nate. Like I, I think I need someone to come in because I'm a visionary or I'm disorganized or whatever the case may be. I want my time back. Um, and we're profitable and I want to bring somebody like that in. What, what advice, and I know this could be a whole other podcast, like we could talk for hours, right? But in just high level, uh, high points, what do you tell somebody like that? How do they know if they are ready, if it's time, and, and where, where do they start that process? Yeah, I think the, the first thing they got to do is they, they really got to take a look at, at what they want. Um, if it's just that you're running around crazy and you feel like you've never got control of your day, there's probably a lot cheaper ways to go about it than hiring a COO, you know? Um, are you really doing, are you really managing your time? Well, or do you have a, do you have a personal assistant? Are you doing all these other things? Because if you check all of those boxes and you take a step back and you still feel like I need somebody else here because the COO, I mean, let's be honest, it's not a cheap hire. Right. And um, if you make the wrong hire, it's even, it's 10 X more expensive than it is for an hourly employee. Yep. Um, and you know, I know, you know, from experience, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I know. it's hard not to grin and just shake my head. Yeah, I yeah. do know from experience. I, I can speak for a lot of the, the the ways not to do it, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that's it. I mean, because because and that's the thing is that I think that you know your experience is different than Bill's is different than other people in, in, in the mastermind group, and that is that what do you where do you want to be in a year from now or six months from now when somebody does take the reins? Are you gonna do you want all of your time back? Are you planning on still being in the business a lot? I mean, where do you do you want to be completely remove yourself and sit in the owner's box as they call it? Or are you still going to be managing the sales team? Like, what's the vision that you want to do? How fast? What's, you know, and the speed that you want to get there and the size that you want to get to? What's the goal? And then when you know that, it's then you can start looking for somebody. Because I think what happens a lot of times is business owners get into a position of banging their head on the table and they're like, man, something's not, something's not working. I need some help. I need some help. I need some help. And then they just go hire somebody. And what ends up happening is, is that, they are not necessarily ready for a COO and the COO comes in and 
they didn't really have a whole lot to do because the the business owner isn't ready to get out of the way. Yeah. You know, and um, so, so so that's it. It's it's really it's really all of those things to understand that. And then, um, you know, we talked about this, and this is this has got whether or not you're trying to do a, a hire a COO or not, but you really need to take a look at your business and understand it. Like where where can you use help at right now? And what are you what are you not good at? You know what and what are you, what are you actually going to be delegating out? Because if you're trying to get your time back, you know hiring a COO is a, is a good way to do that. But don't underestimate the time that you're going to have to invest in that person short term to get to the point of where you're going. And I think that's what that's a lot of where people um, fall short. I've had a lot of guys that have called me that have hired COOs and they they're like you know a month and a half into it and they're like you know this guy just doesn't get it. He just he just doesn't get it. Um, you know, we're, we're not speaking the same language. He doesn't seem to understand where we're going. And I'm like, well, how, how often are you like, Well, we meet once a week. And I'm like, man, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll give, I'll give this for Bill. And I think it's, it's, it's one of the main reasons why it worked out for us was that even though he had all that stuff other going on, he always um, made the time in the beginning to answer the question that I needed or whatever. There was never a time where I felt like he was more than just a text message, a phone call or an email away. As, as busy as he was, I know he always prioritized that because it was a time investment. He knew that time now gives me time back later. Right. Um, and um, th- that's the biggest thing is, is, is also understanding the the absolute uh, process because I think it was funny that whenever Bill came on, he, he incorrectly assumed that he would get his time back immediately. And what, he, what ends up happening is, is that you're actually... Whatever time you're spending right now in your business, plan to spend double. Yeah. When you first hire on a COO, and and, and it, it might be three months before they're ready to go. It might be six months before they're ready to go. Yep. Um, I would say six months is, is probably a good time frame to get fully fully uh, out of it. But it took me about three months about to get it to about fifty percent. But um, whatever you think the time's going to take for you right now to onboard a COO, double that, and that's probably about where you're going to be. And um, if you're ready to do all of that and, 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 and you're to the point of where going through that process and going through all that training and getting to that point and you're saying, hey, listen, this is what I need now. I'm, I'm hamstringing the business by not having the bandwidth to service all of my employees, service all these processes. There's things that are getting missed. There are things that could be getting done that I don't have the capacity to do because whether or not I just don't like it or I don't have the time. That's when you need to start having to take a look at to say, listen, um, is it is bringing on a COO going to help me break through that ceiling and kind of get to the next level? Yeah. So it's I know that that's a long winded answer and there's a lot of variability. And honestly, Mike, the the answer um, to that question it differs from person to person. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to give you like a, a cop out answer, but it's a um, it, it's such it's such a, a loaded question that it, it differs from everybody. But those are the things that I guess I would say were. Ground level. Yeah. And, and I like one thing you said that I really think is important for people to hear is there is a time for a COO. There, there is a time where that might make sense. But before you explore that, right, because that's an extreme, try to get better, good, better at time management. Try to use time management tools. Hire a personal assistant, like you said, right? It's a lot cheaper. Um, or maybe even bring in somebody into your company that's like an administrative person who can kind of catch a lot of the stuff that's falling through the cracks. Like explore those options first because they're less expensive, there's less commitment, and frankly, um, maybe a little less at risk if it doesn't work out. To your point, you know, COOs are not, they're not inexpensive and, and it's just, there's a lot of opportunity cost there. So 
try all that stuff. But there is a time and a place potentially for the right people who have the right business and they have the right goals and things that they want to do to bring in that COO, right? And this is a really um, a good segue and to talk about something that I know that you are going to be doing in about a month and a week or so in December, first part of December, uh, you're putting on um, uh, an event called uh, uh, Dash 2, right? The Dash yes. 2 event. Talk yeah. a little bit about what that is and who it's for and just kind of so people have an idea of what, what that type of a thing is. Yeah, so I mean, if, if you guys, you, you know Bill, you know he's a uh, pilot and um, what we, we were talking about, he gets a lot of questions from a COO standpoint, like how, how, did, how did we find each other? Like how, what was the onboarding process? What's my day-to-day -day look like, all of that? And then I also get the same questions and we kind of got together and I was like, it maybe it'd be beneficial if we actually had an event to kind of formalize this and because I'm, I'm having five conversations a week, he's probably having 10. And I was, let's let's put something together where we can actually help some people out and, and go. So and when we were going through trying to name this, so so dash two it, it, at, at face value doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's the terminology for for pilots, especially in the military, for their wingman, uh, their wingman, the guy that's flying next to them that's got their back. So I, when he when he when he brought that up, I was like, man, I love I love that name. So that's that's the concept. And really, I mean, when you think about your business, that's what a COO is: is they're, they're your wingman, they're the guy that's got your back, they're the guy that like. When you take your hands off the, you know, off, off the, off the reins, like they're, they've got it, and, and you can go do what you need to do, and, and yeah. they can steer the business. So, um, that that was the idea behind the event, and so we, we're gonna, it's gonna be a two day event. It's December sixth and seventh. It's in Nashville, um, and really, we're, we're gonna start from, from from bottom and go all the way to the top. And that's hey, when do I know when I'm ready to hire a COO? All the way to how to find one once they're on. What's the process look like of onboarding them? integrating them into the team. And then the most important piece of this, once you find somebody and they're on, is the dynamic between the CEO and COO relationship. Um, because there are some similarities. There are, there, are, there are almost like copy and paste themes that happen in every business. And it's so funny that, you know, it's, I feel fortunate that um, I've been able to be involved in the mastermind group and understand uh, some growth at, uh, at similar stages with some other, some other companies. And, it's almost like there's there's mandatory checkpoints that everybody is getting to, and we're seeing some of the same issues arise, especially when they bring on COOs. So it's 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 problems that aren't unique to a company. There, it's I think it's unique to the situation that everybody's seeing. Um, but even though that the, the situation at hand might still necessarily be um, not unique between your company and my company, it is different because you've got different players than we do. And I think that um, what I'd like to do in this in this in this uh, seminars, kind of get everybody in the same room. Let's talk about it because I think that there are probably conversations that are being had between CEOs and COOs that um, aren't being, that aren't happening right now uh, that, that need to be happening. And then there are also probably some conversations that are happening that don't need to be happening. Right. I just want to make sure that, uh, we, that we, we kind of just share our experience and say, Hey, listen, this is what worked with us. This is what we've seen has been successful. And if we can, if we can remove some of the uh, the risk, you know, from bringing somebody on, onboarding them, and kind of, you know, cut that time from hire to success in half, that's what our goal is. And um, like I said, it's we're excited, we're excited to, to kind of get together and, and chat with these guys because this is this is our life. We do it, we do it all. You know, the Bill and I. Uh, I talk to him every single day, multiple times a day, um, and ninety five percent of the time, it's usually not about business, but. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into the CEO and CEO relationship that aren't going to be uh, written in a book somewhere or uh, necessarily uh, on some type of job description that uh, we want to talk through. So that's kind of what the goal of the event is. And, uh, we're looking forward to it. Awesome. It's going to be a cool event. I'm going to be there. Um, do you happen to know, and I, I'll put it like in the show notes and I'll make sure it's it's available to you guys who are listening if we don't know. Do you know the website yet? Is there a place people can go to see this? Do you know? Has that been launched? I think it's dash2live.com, but let me confirm that. Dash2live. I'm going to confirm it right and, now. And I, and I will say, Mike, the, I do want to preface that. There, there is an application uh, form you need to fill out because yep. – what we want to do is, is this is not, you know, this is not an event that Bill and I would, you know, wanted to just throw that, you know, anybody that's could just come to it, that, that's not necessarily ready. Yeah. Uh, you, we're going to, there's going to be some prerequisites with regard to, you know, gross revenue that you're producing uh, and, you know, kind of experience level. Cause it, we, we don't want to, we don't want to uh, have somebody come in and, and, and spend money on a class that they're not ready. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's not, these are, these are going to be uh, people that are, are either have hired or currently onboarding, or are within probably the next you know three to four months from away from hiring a CEO, COO, and uh, that's the target model we're really we're really searching for. Um, yeah, that's that's a great point. I'm glad you said that. I would have forgotten. This is not this is open to the public, but it's not open to anyone. If that makes sense, you do have to apply. You have to meet a criteria. I did just double check while you were talking. It is. Uh, dash two live.com and that's the number two so dash the number two live.com you go there there is an application to fill out this is not for everybody you, your, your company has to be to a, at a certain point before it makes sense for you to be there um, but if, if it does meet that criteria then then you're free to come and uh, and uh, it's gonna be awesome I can tell you like this is my little two cents for this I, I've I've hired two coos and I've I've swung and missed twice. And the second time that I hired a COO, uh, I was so sure about the person that I brought on that I'll let people go to the site and fill out the application. And we, I, I don't even know what the price of entry is exactly, but I have an idea. Um, the cost of, of hiring the wrong guy cost me 10 times what I believe the entry fee is for this seminar, like 10 times. Yeah. So you know, what would I give? I, I can tell you in dollar value what I would give to go to this to save that money, right? It's it's pretty straightforward. It's a it's a high level position. It's not a cheap position. And mistakes cost more than there's more than just salary at stake here. There's a lot of things at stake. So um, if you think that you might meet those criteria, and, and you have you're in the right, you know, you have the right business, and you're at the right spot where that makes sense, uh, then go to dash two live and check it out and, and see if it does. If not, then uh, then maybe next is this will happen again in the future, I'm assuming next year or sometime. So yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna continue to have this event. Um, obviously, hopefully, this will be successful. And we'll make each one better than, than the last. And um, you know, hopefully if, if, if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and people are co getting, you know, coaching and growing and growing their businesses, then, uh, the need for, um, uh, bringing on COOs is just going to continue to, to be the case. So, yeah. um, we're looking forward to it. Awesome, man. Good. Well, listen, I appreciate you doing this. We ran over a little bit. We were late to start. This is my fault. Um, but you're, you're awesome to hang on, hang in here and, and do this with me. So thank, thanks for doing it. I appreciate you being on, uh, tons of respect for you and Bill and everything you guys are doing. Um, you're a great guy, great kind of person I like to, to surround myself with. They always say, you know, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And, and I like that you're one of the people that I spend a lot of time with because I have a lot of respect well, for you. I, I feel the same way about you, man. I appreciate you having me on. Awesome, man. Well, thanks a lot. And uh, uh, tell your family, thank you for letting me borrow you this late at night. Uh, <laughs> and you know, 
<laughs> yeah, man. I'll be talking to you in about five weeks, if not sooner, because I'll be at the event. Okay, Mike. Thanks. All right, man. Thanks. See ya. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Nate's a great guy. He's a smart guy, and their company is just rocking and rolling, and they're amazing. Um, I like to mix up the kind of shows that I bring you. Some shows are really you know, aimed a little bit more at the, at the beginning investor, and some of them are going to be aimed a little bit more at experienced investors. This was definitely an interview and a podcast that is probably a little bit more actionable and relevant for uh, an advanced investor, someone who's maybe ready to bring on that COO or that operator in their company. But honestly, the things that they're doing right, the, the hiring practices and some of the other things that we discussed in this interview are very relevant to new investors because it kind of tells you what you should be doing now. And then when you are at the point, if you get to the point or if that's where your goals are to bring in that COO or that operator for you, you already have that good base, that good foundation, and you know what you want from them when they get in there. So it's all good stuff, guys. Don't forget, Nate mentioned it um, during the show uh, that they have the Dash 2 event. So if you go to dash2live.com, that's dash, D-A-S-H, the number two, and then live, L-I-V-E.com, you can apply to be a part of that uh, event. And it is really, it's designed and it's, and it's exclusive for people who are doing a little bit more volume in their business and they're actually at that point where they're ready to hire an operator or a COO or they already have one and they just want to get better at that relationship and have a better um, synergy and a better operational um, kind of a, a, f- a flow in their company. So if you want to be part of that event, go to dash2, that's D-A-S-H, the number two, live.com and you can apply and see if it makes sense for you. And And if it's not, then maybe next time around, it it might be more sense if you're ready for it at that point. But uh, otherwise, guys, listen, I always say it, uh, but it it always is true. Uh, If you really, really want to build your business, or if you want to just start this business and get involved, if you're on the sidelines watching and you want to be a real estate investor and quit that 9 to 5 someday potentially, there's only one way you're going to get there, and that's to get out there and just start.